Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Star Wars Lads podcast. I'm Liam, and I'm joined by the other two lads, Jared and Sonic. Today, we are talking about a very, very difficult topic, our top 10 favorite Jedi. And this is going to be predominantly focused on canon Jedi, uh, basically up to our discretion, pretty much anywhere in canon, but we will mention a few honorable mentions for some EU stuff, some legend stuff, but Sonic's going to start us off. What's your number 10? Yeah, I guess um, for honorable mention, uh, oh, that's a tough one. I mean, I think it's fair to say a lot of us, our uh, favorite stories about Jedi come from the Clone Wars, because that's like where we get to meet a lot of them, more fleshed out than just like side characters or supporting characters in the movies. So like some of my favorite uh honorable characters. I mean, I love Plo Koon. Without him, we don't have Ahsoka. Um, big fan of Quinlan Voss. Um, I know he in the EU he had a bit more of a complicated storyline. Um, and I liked a lot of the elements that they brought back in for Dark Disciple. Just wish that he was a bit more in the Clone Wars. Um I I, I tend to say that I like Mace Windu more in the movies than I do in uh Clone Wars, I think he's just notable because he's just like a testament to like everything that's wrong about the Jedi in one person for me. Um, but you know, Je- Je- Jedi are very, they're special, they're unique. I could talk about like Eula Quildroma from Tales of the Jedi. Um, I could talk about Exar Kun, I could talk about Revan and all those things, but you know, they are honorable mentions for a reason. It's a little harder to give them as much weight compared to like canon Jedi. Um, and to be fair, I think it's uh, Lucasfilm and all the storytelling that's been done throughout canon have created some of the coolest and most three-dimensional characters in general. And on top of that, we have some really three-dimensional Jedi. Um, so my number 10 is Ezra Bridger. Um, I feel bad putting him as number 10 just because he is really like the main character um i guess as part of the rebels uh, ensemble as part of the ghost crew um he is like you know the viewer kind of how like ahsoka was like the viewer for all of us um growing up watching the clone wars is how we posit ourselves in the story um i know like a lot of people especially when he was first introduced um especially since clone wars had been canceled and um this was like the replacement show you know, they thought thought of him as like, oh, he's just face Aladdin. Um, he's got, you know, he's a little too goofy, a little too silly. Um, but I, I mean, I really loved his development. Um, I think the way that he grew as a character um, was realistic. He is really a teenager. Um, but a teenager in an era of oppression is different than a teenager thrown into war. Um, so, you know making yourself involved in something that has affected you and shaped you, but hasn't necessarily been, you know, something that you had to get yourself involved in is a pretty interesting perspective. Um, and I'm, I mean, I love his relationship with Kanan. Um, I think, uh, especially love in starting season three, once he gets a little older, his look changes a little bit and he's a bit more groomed, a little bit more professional about it. Um, I really love his relationship with Maul. I think it lets Maul become a bit more of a... I mean, he's already three-dimensional, but he goes from being uh, a character that's always doomed to fail to a character that 
fails, and that's why, and that's why he's so lovable. He's he's always been like the villain. He's always been the one who's hurting each other. But he, uh, Ezra is probably the first one who gives him a chance until we see Ahsoka again. And I thought that was a very interesting way to take him. Ultimately, though, I think my favorite moment was the way the Rebels series ended. Um, you know, he's holding back Thrawn. He brings in the Pergil. He's telling Sabine and everyone, like, no, this is what I have to do. I have to see this through. So the pose is very reminiscent of Kanan from just a few episodes before. Um, his commitment to both the Rebellion and then to his family, especially, I think, I think those are really cool. And ultimately, as fun of a character as he is, though, he is my number 10 because there's more to him. What's going to happen next? What's he going to do with Thrawn? Uh, does he have a chance to reconnect with Ahsoka? Like, th these are things we still don't know, which is why I'm like, kind of holding off on him. Not because I want to, but it just is one of those situations. So that that's my number 10. Um, I'm going to throw it back to Liam because Jared is, was even more frustrated by top 10 than us. Uh, so he's going to go to top five. Um, he found that a little it's harder. And it, it's unfortunate, but it's totally fair because, you know, we all, we all relate to Jedi differently. Sometimes, you know, we're more interested in everything other than Star Wars or sometimes it's just too hard. So... Uh, me and Liam will be bouncing back until number five, and then that's when Jared will join us. So, Liam, who's your number 10? So, before I get to my number 10, I want to drop some of my honorable mentions as well. Uh, for Legends, I've got, as you said, Revan, Malik, uh, Bastila Sean from Knights of the Old Republic is a good one, Mara Jade, Kyle great Katarn, one. Great one. Zane yeah. Carrick from the Old Republic comics, Dana Solo. Um, and for canon, one of my honorable mentions is Ezra Bridger. I kind of held him off for the same reason he's your number 10. I think there's so much more to his story. And, and like you said, I really, um, grew to like him much more in season three and four as he really grew into himself and, and became a, a real Jedi versus a kind of a young lane. He is an honorable mention for me, as well as Cal Kestis and Kit Fisto. Luminara and Dooley, and even the droid, on, droid attack on the Wookiees himself, Kiati Mundi, they're all honorable mentions for me. But my number 10 is Mace Windu. Um, Mace Windu is a tough one because we don't get much characterization, honestly, of him in the, the films outside of the fact that he hates Anakin, um, or doesn't hate Anakin, but he's very stern towards Anakin. Anakin kind of breaks the mold of, of the traditional Jedi teachings, and Mace Windu is very much so a very traditional Jedi master. But he is the master of the Order. He's the leader of the Council. Mace Windu is, is super powerful and, and very, very strong in the Force, and he represents a, a very interesting gray area that I thought the sequel trilogy was going to explore a little bit more than it ended up doing. But something that it's really interesting in Star Wars that I don't think we've really explored, explored to its fullest yet about a Jedi who can tap into both the light and the dark. Someone who is, you know, able to push his emotions to the, their limits for a Jedi, but can still rein himself in enough to maintain his composure and his, his ability to use the light side of the Force. And uh, debatably, he beats Palpatine. Uh, I, I think 
you know, even if Palpatine did let him win, I think it would have been a pretty close fight regardless. Um, and although, yeah, that is kind of a, a little bit of a disappointing fight in actuality, it's the seeing the two of them fight was a really cool idea and can be, you, you know, how they, um, somebody took on YouTube and, and re-edited with new footage, new like CG footage or something of, of Obi-Wan and Vader fighting on the Death Star. I'd love to see them do that for Mace Windu versus Absolutely. Yeah, that, that was such a cool fight. fight. Yeah. Yeah, because they're just like... Oh, yeah. So I, anyway, Mace Windu is kind of... There is more so just the what he represents. He is like really, really cool middle ground Jedi. And also the fact that there are... Or he's, he's probably had all these journeys that we had never got to see where he really gets to explode and use his power i i think back if we were talking about legends i think back to that one part of the 2003 clone wars where he's punching super battle droids and and all that i i've always really enjoyed that so um that is why mace windu is number 10 for me yeah i think i think mace windu is a pretty solid and interesting selection um well you would say his um the way he pushes his emotional state, I guess, like that's a pretty big part of his form seven Vapad, I guess the light side version of that lightsaber form. Um, I find it a little bit hypocritical because you know he, he's a dude who <laughs> really lets himself feel all those emotions, and then he's telling Anakin, "No, he's not ready," or "No, I don't trust the boy," stuff like that. Um, so that that's why I don't I don't appreciate him, considering the fact that we get to see all these amazing heroic things and thoughtful things that Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka do on the daily and basically hard carrying um, the Republic Army during the Clone Wars. But, um, you know, I, I, I totally see that for, for a fair point. Um, number nine for me is Cal Kestis. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, there's really only one thing Cal is from, and he is from uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. I mean, that is really our only major single-player game since EA Star Wars has you know, been a, a deal under Disney. Um, luckily, we're getting a bit more expansion, so the onus doesn't fall on just EA to deliver. But uh, Respawn, we're the group that created Titanfall and Titanfall 2. Um, and that's a first-person shooter game. Interesting and unique as it is, but it still isn't really um, in the same realm as, of, you know, being prepared to do a Star Wars story, right? Especially during the dark times. But... I mean, it was handled extremely well, and I think the angles that they took really resonated with me. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to really pick a specific moment about Cal because, well, for one, you're playing as him. He's a video game character, and because, you know, you experience everything. Um, but, I mean, I, I do want to mention that um, I really enjoyed his relationship with the characters, like Sarah, um, you know, having her be almost a nearly fallen Jedi, but not like really fully revealing that till the end and seeing how like they both kind of don't fully trust each other, but I guess they're drawn to each other, especially once they meet each other in Broca and she saves him with Greece. Um, I think more than anything, his relationship with Marin is full of potential. I mean, you can take it a romantic angle, you could take it a, a force uh, journey's angle, you can just take it as people on the run from the Empire, but 
you know, we've never really seen Night Sister and um, Jedi really together. And again, for him to be so accepting and willing to, sh you know, shed light on the mistakes of the Jedi and all that, you know, just to be critical of himself and the institution he's part of, I think was a really big part of his character that I enjoyed. Um, more, more than anything, though, just the way that uh, trauma was portrayed in Star Wars. I mean, I think it's fair to say Order 66 was probably Lucas's final cinematic triumph um, of storytelling, right? It's like that one part of Star Wars that we don't necessarily know about watching the original trilogy um, when they talk about the Clone Wars and the past, but it's so devastating once it finally comes, and especially as we talked last week with Fives and all the other clones, um, knowing that they have brain chips that are forcing them into this and all that. Um, they, I mean, there, there's so many victims of Palpatine's machinations. Um, and the Jedi are obviously the key and the center of it. Um, and I mean, you lose your whole family and society, right? It is, in essence, Star Wars Holocaust for them. Um, and th that's traumatic, right? And Sure, Star Wars doesn't really get into those deeper or, I guess, more complicated emotions, but it's not saying that there isn't space for that. Um, it's just maybe not necessarily something a full movie can take care of, which is why, um, you know, how you progress through the story through being, you know, uh, Cal when he's just hiding his powers to, you know, journeying and visiting, you know, Cordova's uh, um, Bogano and meeting... BD and then going through Zepho and all these different force religions, meeting a fallen Jedi, Malakos telling you a lot of very uh, good sounding things. I don't know if you guys have seen that meme where it's like the guy, he's like pouring himself a drink where he's like, when you're listening to the villain and his, what he's saying is kind of sounding kind of true or pretty solid, right? I mean, there's a lot of things about, <laughs> there's a lot of things about Jedi Fallen Order where people that he encounters make very valid arguments and criticisms and he takes that in and combining that with acceptance and then you know uh, trying to relearn his mistakes through his mistakes to undo his trauma as best as he can i think that was really good especially the way that you know hiding your force powers behind all that trauma as opposed to being like oh you gotta level up and then you can unlock it it's like there's a reason why you don't have this you might have known all this before but you kind of shut that away, the pain. And above all else, I mean, I think the best moment of the game has to be the Order 66 um, walkthrough, right? The very final one after you've done all your mini missions as uh, Cal training with his master. Um, like you're walking through it and you experience Order 66. When, when we've seen Ahsoka experience it and... We've seen Anakin through holograms and stuff, but to walk through it, to play through it, to fight for your life. And he's he's a kid, right? He's so innocent. And then for that to just be shattered, um, to see Jorah Topal die. I mean, it's profound that Star Wars was willing to let us see something so painful and dark. And then for him at the very end of the game to go through that whole vision of accepting it and... You know, saying, should we pass on the same trauma to this next generation of Jedi? Wouldn't that only be inflicting pain on them from the start and finally cutting the holocron? Like, great character. And you could say that the Jedi Fallen Order story, in a sense, could be done right there. It's obviously not because there's more going to come out of it. But he is my number nine because 
as great of a story it is, it could be closed there, but we know that there's more coming and it only takes place like what five years after uh five ten years after return of the jedi i think it's only five actually so there's a vast period before um i mean who knows maybe there's more stuff to do with the rebellion maybe we follow Marin more as opposed to him there's, there's so much more to his story um that'll probably come in in the, in the next game so that that's why he's my number nine but he's a very very strong number nine for me that's a good pick. I just left him off the list. Uh, kind of <laughs> for that same reason with Ezra. Uh, the, the story doesn't feel complete yet to me. Um, I think that is kind of a good segue into my number nine, which is Rey. Um, yes, we got Trilogy featuring Rey as our lead Jedi and and no matter what, if you don't like her, I, I mean, I'll just say I, I enjoyed the character quite a bit. Yes, she picks up on being a Jedi much faster. And obviously we got a, an explanation for it that, you know, is goes back and forth with me. I don't, I both don't love it and also can see why it works from a thematic standpoint more so than a practical standpoint. But I really enjoyed the character of Rey. I love lot of the force powers we got through her she is her and her and ben with the force dyad something that i thought was really profound about sequel trilogy and one of the best ideas that actually felt like it was really strongly done throughout all three films uh, i think that was one of the things i really liked about her uh, her she's just kind of is a very traditional jedi she wants to learn she wants to be able to do something to help her friends and help challenge the things that she sees wrong with the jedi and I mean, with with the galaxy i mean and and to really you know she's fearless and she fights for those she loves and she's she's all of that she really is a traditional jedi but at the same time she has a, a journey that um you get to see unfold on film and i'm sure that adds a little bit more to why i like her but i think her story's not finished and out of everybody in the sequel trilogy and and i'm definitely on record saying i would like to go away from the post episode nine timeline for, for a little bit right now but i think out of everybody with the sequel trilogy i really want to see where ray's story goes because the sequels really only take place over a couple of years at most or one year at most um and and for me, we didn't get a complete arc for her. Like we, there's so much more left for her to do. I feel like with the Jedi themselves about the Order, or rebuilding the Order, if she's going to do that, or what is her her true relationship to the Jedi beyond the Skywalkers? I, I want to see a lot more from that. Um, so I couldn't put her much higher, even though I did really enjoy the character. But you know, I think I think nine is a good spot for her on my list. I hopefully we get more, and in the future I could come back and say, well, maybe she's top five or top six. But now I think she's a good number nine, a very very solid character, but doesn't do anything that's ultra exceptional in my book yet. But I think we we could get there. Yeah, uh, totally 
understand all those uh, opinions. I mean, I feel much the same way. Um, I think a lot of it uh, comes down. I mean, yeah, she is my number eight, and I have her above Cal and Ezra because, I mean, as much as they only had like one part of their story done, um, you know, I I think Ray being a movie character and a movie Jedi has a little bit more weight, no matter what, um, and she's tied into both the Palpatines and the Skywalkers. I think, yeah, like you said, the Force diet stuff with her, really phenomenal work um, by by both JJ and Ryan Johnson and Lucasfilm Storyboard. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess like there's the whole like how she kind of like downloaded like the force powers from kylo when they first meet i mean these are like these small explanations that you can get from like looking up a wikipedia article that you don't necessarily get from watching it um i mean you can criticize luke uh much in the same way in my opinion because you know he doesn't know anything in four at the beginning of five he's struggling to you know pull a lightsaber but that's still a big leap from anything he did in four um other than having more than just good luck uh i mean we don't know how time works on dago but there's been rumors that the planet really has a lot of time dilation going so what would have been like two weeks is more like six months with yoda um yeah i mean i don't know i mean i don't know if we can say the same thing with acto um i i personally wouldn't uh and it's it's not that she's a disappointing character to me i think that again this comes down to having uh, an unclear story through the sequels and not necessarily having one outline before you can always move away from your outlines but you should still have a strong solid outline i think that was missing um i mean i know a lot of people who love the last jedi love that she was a nobody right she's just someone who's powerful, right? And she's separate from Skywalkers and all their drama. And then for her to be a Palpatine, you know, in episode nine, I don't know if I'd say I love it. I, I don't. Um, but I think it does have potential for me, which is why I'm going to have her as my number eight. Um, I, I mean, if you look at Anakin in the prequels, I, I think it's very hard to argue that he's phenomenal of a character until three. And even in three, right, his fall is very much quickly reached. You know, it's very sudden. It's dramatic. It's fast. I mean, we have those moments in the beginning of episode three that are very strong with his camaraderie, with Obi-Wan, with his leadership and his fighting skills. Like, yeah, I mean, we see... We see why Anakin is so good. Like, yeah, he's got the title of the Chosen One, and he proves it by holding his own, even though he's kind of stupid at times and not the smartest tool in the shed um, and definitely struggling with his emotions. But in that same sense, right, if we look at just those movies, you could say, okay, not a great story for him as a Jedi, a really great story for him as a Sith turned Jedi once again before he dies. Um, but then we get the Clone Wars. The Clone Wars, 
I mean, he, it does everything. It salvages his character, and then not only does it salvage it, it makes him... I mean, it makes him amazing. Let's be honest, he's a great warrior. You can see why he's considered the hero with no fear. He has Ahsoka. He has a Padawan who loves and adores him for who he is. Um, is also her own independent thinker, but they work together. But, uh, you know, the way that they both view the Force and view the Order pushes them together and pushes them apart. You know, his whole relationship with Obi-Wan is even more defined. Uh, relationship with the clones, which is why it makes the 501st killing everyone on Coruscant even more devastating. Um, yeah, they, I mean, there's so many things about Anakin. I don't think uh, we would have loved if we didn't have the Clone Wars from 2008 through 2000. 20 on and off um yeah so i think i think that's the that reasoning uh i feel like it needs to be applied here with ray ray's put in a conflict like you said liam that's only like a year and a half at most um seven and eight decide to have literally what a day or two of a gap if anything um i mean nine takes place a year after but it introduces palpatine's resurrection it's like the pieces of the puzzle are there, but maybe there should have been like a trilogy in between uh, six and seven, but we couldn't because we want to bring back the original actors, but we can't rely on them because they'd be old and they're not necessarily in their prime or wizened, like to be considered like, oh, you know, not as young as they were, but still, they still got it. Um, yeah, I mean, those, those elements, I think we're always going to be working against characters like Ray and Finn, but ultimately the story that was told doesn't help them out either. Um but you know if I if we see Ray and Finn and Poe and all those characters get a post uh Rise of Skywalker Clone Wars treatment, if we see more of the Palpatine story um kind of fill out all that stuff between six through seven, I think her being like the final product of like the war between the palpatines and the skywalkers could be pretty satisfying and i'm betting on the current vision of lucasfilm to satisfy that now that they don't have to do a trilogy necessarily to explain that whole story um but i mean from what we have so far i think she's still really cool i think her fight with the praetorian guards uh probably even though I wish there was a lightsaber fight in eight, it's so cool to see. Um, she embodies a lot of the more emotional side of the Jedi that should be there um, from the start and accepted. And I think that's something that can be built off of. I really do like her relationship with Finn, even if Finn, Finn is memed for like just saying Ray and yelling after all the time. I think they do have strong camaraderie, and I do want to see more. Um, of their force training together, which I'm assuming should happen after nine. Um, I, I mean, I, I can't say that I didn't like and if not love the whole final fight against Palpatine with Ben. Um, I really love when their eyes sync together and she like gives that small little nod and passes him the lightsaber through the force. Um, you can have your arguments about force heal, but I think. I think considering how they're both like kind of culminations of each other's 
fine family line uh it works just enough for me i do want more reasoning and more grounded uh flexibility and ideas put into explaining why um obviously the sequels are still a mess even if they're really fun and i still think they're worthwhile additions um and that that's kind of why ray coming down to number eight is a big thing for me she could have been as up high as number five or number four but because she's missing everything after that one year that changes her life forever um that that's what keeps her at eight for me i do also want to mention when she's at tatooine and she takes on the name of skywalker i think thematically it works really great i mean these are the only the skywalkers were the ones who took care of her and trained her both luke and leia um she's guided by light side of the force and she gives them both hope and optimism and kind of re-strengthens luke i mean you can argue that luke might have not been the greatest character or his turn and last at the start of the last jedi to be this depressed and mopey person was bad but you know for me i i like characters who have that trauma who are also jedi like cal and luke making a mistake but then you know being pushed to accept that and move and forgive and pass on those failings and as a critical lessons i mean i think that's where ray's story really helps out luke as well so a lot of great elements just not necessarily more exceptional of a jedi than she could have been all good points i i agree with the ray skywalker thing i i know it's memed but i think it works really well thematically personally for me it would work much more if she was a nobody and we never found out about her parents i think the palpatine lineage thing hurts it a little bit but i i think it is a really strong moment and i'd like to see future for ray but my number what is it eight number eight is kanan jarris from rebels uh kanan he is, is similar to cal and I, I think that's one of the reasons why Cal has yet to truly, you know, grip me. I, I liked Cal and I liked Jedi Fallen Order. I felt like a lot of it we get, albeit in a, a more kid-friendly version, but we get a lot of it with Kanan and Rebels. Uh, Kanan is one of the first Jedi we ever get to see who survived Order 66 and is doing something outside of being a Jedi. He's hiding. He's doesn't want to reveal himself he doesn't want to be a jedi and he's pulled out from his path as a, a rebel smuggler to help this this kid in need with ezra and help train him so he doesn't fall to the dark side and and uh, kanan kanan's journey throughout all of rebels is my favorite one in the show he is he grows from very much so a padawan who you know is afraid because of order 66 and because order 66 he's he's just wanted to forget everything to do with the jedi he doesn't want to do you know to be known as a jedi he doesn't feel like he is a jedi in his own mind to very much so oh, becoming the traditional definition of a jedi which is someone who sacrifices themselves for the greater good someone who is willing to die for their friends someone who's you know cares so deeply about the 
the long run, the the long game, the the future versus himself. He's willing to give himself up to the force and save everybody. And I think Kanan so much so embodies kind of the the Anakin style journey of I don't want anything. I don't really want part of this, but but not so not as much about the power. Anakin's more about the power, but Kanan is more about like he doesn't want to do this journey, but yet he's sucked into it and he does it. It becomes more than uh, who he wants to be, you know. And I think for me, for me, Kanan is one of the biggest standout characters in Filoni verse, you know. Um, and part of it is like I've we've been kind of saying with other Jedi on our, the lower on our list he's someone who gets a complete story we get to see him go through his entire transformation and, and even if you want to bring in the Kanan comics which are also very very good we we really get to see his entire journey unfold in Star Wars canon and and as a as a auxiliary character to the movies he really is someone who has um has been given the best treatment out of almost anyone next to Ahsoka. And so I, I've just genuinely really loved him as a character through any medium that he's been in. He exudes that that more legends sense of uh of a Jedi post Return of the Jedi or post Order 66, who's someone who's no, not really. He doesn't look like a Jedi. He doesn't act like a Jedi, but the will of the light side and the the draw to to give in to the light side and to become, you know, something greater than individual to become something greater than, you know, someone who's out for themselves. It's very much so an original trilogy like idea, and and Kanan really embodies that almost more than anybody. I think. He, it was tough not putting him higher. It really was. But for me, he's a great number eight and, and genuinely one of the best characters in all of the canon Star War, of Star Wars. I mean, totally agree because I feel like we're just bouncing back and forth with similar characters here because my number seven is also in canon. <laughs> um, I guess that's your number eight. But um, yeah, I mean, Kanan does what I feel like Ray fails to do over three movies. I mean, yeah, he has four seasons of a show, but we we see we see, it's hard it's hard to say that we don't see Ray make a big sacrifice because she clearly sacrifices her own life. Um, maybe her dying would have been a cool way instead of and letting Ben live. I mean, again. The decisions that were made have been made, and now it's like, what are they going to do with it? How are you going to work around it? What Filoni or Favreau or whoever's magic is going to, you know, make that story more rich and fleshed out? We still don't know. Um, but we do know is that we've gotten the full story of King. Like you said, the comics, uh, the comic adaption of his early life, Order 66 with Depa Bilaba was great. Totally loved the nod to it in the Clone Wars, where you see him in the hologram room. Um, and I mean, yeah, I mean, Kanan, Kanan's great. Um, he's snarky. He's got a cool, like one arm, one um, shoulder armor design. Um, very reminiscent of uh, like old 
uh, Macquarie drawings. Um, obviously, Rebels is based off of all that. Um, but I mean, he he's he's everything that you want out of a Jedi and out of a Jedi with flaws. Um, I mean. He's avoiding everything he can to do with the Jedi. He keeps his weapon with him, obviously, but he keeps it in half, um, right? And when he finally is forced to pull out his uh, lightsaber at the beginning of Rebels, yeah, uh, I mean, that obviously sets things in motion and changes the rest of his life. But, you know, once you take an action uh, and really reconnect to your past, not often do you do much more with it or evolve it or transform it into something better or greater. And Kanan does exactly that, right? He's not a fully trained Jedi Knight, right? He was barely a Padawan. Um, if you remember in EU, Depa Bilaba um, is like in a coma because of um, like some tinges with the dark side because she was also a Vapad user, um, like her master Mace Windu. Um, and it drove her crazy because she couldn't handle the emotional state required to use that lightsaber form. And that story is implied to still be true in canon and in the Kanan comics. So this kid's maybe got a year with her at best, and it's in war. He's like 12, 13, and that's the only training that he has, and he's supposed to teach Ezra, right? He's lived like 15 years doing everything to not be a Jedi. He's in A New Dawn, uh, the book that he's in, that we first meet him, he's clearly like a drunkard. Um, he's clearly been like schmoozing around and doing all these different things that are very un-Jedi-like. Um, he's spent more time as a smuggler, as someone, you know, just trying to make money than he has as a Jedi who's following the will of the Force and trying to help people. Because, one, he has to, but two, he honestly looks a bit more comfortable doing that. and. To take that and then to suddenly say, okay, now I got to train my kid, um, who, first of all, I never really wanted as part of this crew, but now I have to be like a father figure him, but also his Jedi master, but also comrade at arms in a rebellion. Like, that's a lot of things to put on a guy who doesn't really have much training. And yet, he does that also well. He accepts that he can't do much. I mean, for me, my favorite moment, even with his whole story, is. Uh, the end of season one when they're fighting the Grand Inquisitor and you know when we see Ezra fall off because of like the lightsaber cut and Kanan assumes that he's dead right he could have just like gone into like rage or despair but instead he's like that was a mistake and Grand Inquisitor's like why uh, is this someone else for you to uh, who's willing to die for you is this just, just another loss for you he's like no he's like uh I mean, I don't remember exactly what he says. Now he's like, now I'm unafraid. I don't have anything left to lose, right? And he fully embodies what being a Jedi is at that moment. And from then on, he does that. But then he also fails again because, you know, after that amazing fight where he's just probably in this peak fighting condition, right? At the end of season two, Maul blinds him, right? Um, obviously, he's got that cool blind fight and throws Maul off the ledge. But then he's also in, like, a depressed state, right? He was building himself into being a Jedi. He went through the Lothal Temple and passed his Jedi Knight trials, right? Like, 
all these things like to make him a fully fledged Jedi happen. Like, if anything, he should have been more valuable Jedi than Ezra. But that wasn't his path. He was stripped of that. He lost his eyesight, and for a long time, it took a lot of it out of him. But then he still manages to come back. He still manages to listen to the Force. He still manages to turn Ezra away from those dark side teachings that he was trying to lean into. Helps take ownership of his own failings uh, to not help. And he comes back just as much of a great Jedi, if not even better than before. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he has so many lapses and failures, but he still does everything right in the end. And he ultimately sacrifices everything um, to save the ghost crew. There's no, nothing more valuable to a Jedi than doing what's right and helping others. And if it means giving up your own life, so be it. And what makes it even more tinged is that this is his family, right? This is who he's grown with. This is, he's leaving behind a Padawan and his son, essentially. And maybe that's not what he wants to do and reminiscent of his own master dying before she could finish his training. But he is again doing it for them and he's leaving all of them in a better place. Sadly, he might also know that he's got a kid with Hera. That's that's also pretty depressing to think about, but he is ultimately, in every sense of the word, a Jedi and a good person. And his quality of being right and doing things, not, not necessarily the most by the book, but ultimately the one that's guided by a cleanest heart, That I think that's what makes him so special of a Jedi, and that's why he's my number seven. Yeah, great points. And, and, and he really is. He's really awesome and so hard not putting him higher. And uh, for me, seven goes to Jedi that is so. When we talk about the Clone Wars, Ahsoka, Rex, they are the heart and soul of the Clone Wars. But when you get down to it, one of the great things about the Clone Wars, as we kind of talked about last week with getting to see different clones and different personalities and their the, what makes them an individual and what makes them so unique and special. One of the other great things it gave us was it, it did the same thing for the Jedi. We got to see each one of their personalities. We got to see all these, all these people that were, you know, on the council that we didn't ever get to see do anything in the prequels. <clears throat> they now got screen time and they got time to shine we got to learn everything about them and for me nobody stood out more than Jedi Master Plo Koon uh, Plo Koon has always been one of the coolest looking Jedi on that council uh, he gets a lot of screen time because he sits to Mace Windu's left uh, and that was kind of it we, we don't ever see we see him in a couple shots in episode 2 we see him get killed in episode 3 but there was nothing from him until the Clone Wars and he is in that I guess it's the first real arc in the Clone Wars but it's starting the second episode it's the Malevolence arc he's a big character in that and, and that kind of just for me he's he's one of the faces of the Clone Wars he's kind of defined that, that era and you get to learn about we get to learn more about his backstory than kind of other any other Jedi masters that get screen time in the Clone Wars. He finds Ahsoka. He is the Jedi that kicks off the whole 
arc with Yoda and the um when Yoda goes to uh I get on on the name uh not Malachor it's um Morban. When Yoda goes to Morban, that whole arc is started by Plo Koon. Plo Koon really he he is defined by his compassion and and his his care for around him and he he kind of even though he's not uh ahsoka's master he still is there for the entire show and he's mentoring her and he's giving her his wisdom and same with the clones uh you guys said it last week but he had the quote really defines the clone wars which is when the clones say we're, we're just clones and he says not to me and that to me that is the show that's it's it's about exploring these characters and seeing why this conflict was so important that George Lucas name drops it in episode four in 1977. It, it was, he just, he just defines the entire thing. It's, we get this Jedi master who is very cool in, in image, but when we get to know him in the Clone Wars, he's more than that. He's, he's a, a kind soul. He's a, a leader. And he's very skilled with his lightsaber, which was cool, and a very good pilot. So for me, while Plo Koon might not have as much story to him than Kanan or, or Rey, he kind of represents the entire Clone Wars era for me uh, and what it meant for auxiliary characters in Star Wars that we, you know, that, that people like me grew up playing with their action figures as a kid and trying to make up the backstory for them. Okun got that he was he was the kind of the face of it all. So for me, he's my number seven. Yeah, I mean, great point with the quote. I mean, undeniably, what the Clone Wars is about, um, and how you can dissect that and how you can build off of that is so big and so important to the show. Um, yeah, so. My number six is a Jedi that probably doesn't really have much material, um, especially in canon, but with the time that he has, um, he, he changes the whole galaxy. It's, it's pretty clear to say that Qui-Gon Jinn, my number six, is one of the greatest Jedi ever. Um, obviously, we see... A great lightsaber duel on Naboo, but the way he carries himself throughout the film, right? He's, I don't want to say he's aware of his impending death, but he knows he's on a path that's bigger than him that he has to be carried by, right? Like, he's not at all shocked that Padme is replaced by his handmaids. If anything, he probably knows before anyone else and is permitting her to have that. Um, and I mean, if you read the Padme novels, she's so grateful to him and his presence. You know, he's kind of like a kind, fatherly Jedi. Um, obviously, his relationship with Obi Wan is a little bit more complicated because they're always going back and forth about should we be more connected with the Force or should we be connected with the ways that Jedi Order tells us to view the Force. And you know, I might be wrong of a Jedi to simply throw everything into prophecies, um, but. But again, um, you know, he, his prophecy that he believes in does ultimately fulfill and change the galaxy, right? 
he brings about the end of the Sith. Um, you know, the Chosen One and Anakin changes the galaxy, changes the Jedi. If anything, the Jedi were always doomed, but by embracing that prophecy in the long run, in the short run, whatever it may be, it was what was going to be best for the Jedi. And I know we have the sequel trilogy that some, for some people muddles that, but we don't truly have a Sith in there, right? We have Jedi that are failing to move beyond, but I mean, that's to be expected when you're not necessarily rebuilding order. And I think it's pretty fair to say that by taking so much more from the past, whether it be the High Republic, whether it be the prequel Jedi, right? Looking at those was also a mistake by Luke. Um, and I think that works really well for a lot of things about Qui-Gon. He is distrustful of the Order. He turns it down in the end of Master and Apprentice. He is guided by a need to help others and a need to be pure to his heart. Uh, and he's a Jedi that, you know, he doesn't seem to have much doubt, but he is in this feeling of peace and solitude because the doubts that he had, he acknowledges them, he accepts them, and eventually he overcomes them because he finds purpose. And his purpose was powerful, and it drove him like no other Jedi, I would say. Um and he was devoted probably more than any other Jedi would be in the, his situation. Um, would I have loved more? Yeah, I mean, I hope we see him in the Kenobi series as a Force ghost and all that. But I don't know. I, I think Liam Neeson does a, does a great job. And he's just a Jedi that I think for the story purposes, for who he is, for what the character demands, he does everything that you want him to. And I think that's why he's my number six. You know, I, I feel like uh, Qui-Gon Jinn's a story that I feel like could deserve its own, like, spin-off. I, I feel like he was at the end of his arc on... I mean, you guys have probably read more about this in the EU, but, like, it, it, I think just... I agree with you. I seeing agree with him you, in, sure. Yeah, yeah, like, just seeing him in The Phantom Menace, it's like, you know that he's at the end of his arc, and you know that he's going to die, right? You, you, you get that feeling. And yeah. I think, like, that's... I, I I think that's why I feel like a lot of mystery and ambiguity is brought upon people just like watching episode one from the first or like for the first time as the first movie they watch in Star Wars. It's like so confusing because you're like what like I feel like there's so much context that backs all of his decisions and in uh, his dynamic with Obi Wan and and everything with the Jedi Order and everything. So yeah, yeah, I would love to see a spinoff of that. Uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know if Lucas uh, Lucas Films uh, is interested in that, um, yeah, or, or if there's I, like much of a uh, demand for that either. I, I think ultimately he is a, more of a supporting Jedi. I mean, he is. He does kick off things, and I would love to see more, especially his past with Dooku. Right? It's only been yeah, like kind of teased here and there, but yeah. I mean. That's also even more of a complicated relationship than he does has with Obi-Wan. And let's not forget, Obi-Wan and him are on Mandalore, right? When that whole civil war is going on and Obi-Wan basically falls in love with Satine. So, I mean, there's so much more to his story, and I think we will see it. When is the question? And to what purpose will it serve for his own development and growth? 
Yeah, yeah, I think like yeah, even a separate from Obi Wan stuff, I, I feel like uh, yeah, he seems like a very interesting character that I would like to know more about. Um, but yeah, yeah I did in his his younger days with Dooku, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, how does he become so obsessed with all this stuff, with the prophecies, and and as a kid, because it's something that's really always been uh, in his DNA. Uh, but for I got Jin's my number six also. Um, I don't have too much more to add. He's just he he really he's exhibits wisdom, um, but it's a different type of wisdom than somebody like Yoda does. He's a a character that kind of he's, he's one of those that leads by example, um, but not in the brashness that Anakin does, but but more so with a calculated measure to his, every decision he makes um he's he's just wise and, and has this belief that really is unrivaled with in the jedi like he he truly believes that what they're doing is right but specifically kind of the way he's doing it he treats it and he kind of treats it more like a religion than pretty much anybody else um and he he truly believes in the prophecies and and just seeing his kind of his obsession build in in the master and apprentice book and uh, how he becomes so, so hell bent on on finding the chosen one, and what it really means to him. I mean, we don't really see Jedi like that. Like he he truly is like a someone who's into history and and scripture and and all of that. And it's it's odd because we we think of Jedi when we think of Jedi and Sith, we don't really think of it as a religion as much because most of them are about you know, the power within oneself and meditation and, and discovering you know your connection to some supernatural force but Igon really treats it like a religion and treats every action he does is like for the benefit of his order and and that you know ultimately kind of leads to his downfall but uh yeah like we were saying seeing him as a young apprentice with Dooku and someone who you know he doesn't really get along with that well either um, but then also Dooku you know, in episode two thinks that Qui-Gon would join him. You know, you could say that might be a ploy to get Obi-Wan to join him. But there's so much history there and, and Qui-Gon doesn't have his, you know, he doesn't have the history in the film that Kanan or Rey or these other characters that we were talking about do, but it just means so much to the universe. He really... Like you were saying, Jared, he he just exudes this this presence that you feel like he's been there forever. You feel like he's a foundational piece to Star Wars, and I think a lot of that comes from Liam Neeson, just being Liam Neeson. But, true, uh, true. Yeah, he's 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 just the the wisest, and um, and he trains Obi Wan, which you know is a very you know, high notch on his resume for sure. So Qui Gon is it's easily my number six as well. All right, well that's going to do it for part one of this week's two-part episode featuring featuring our top ten Jedi. Thank you so much to listening for listening to part one, which is our ten through six. But part two is coming on Friday, so stay tuned for that. That'll be our number five through our number one choices. Uh, that'll be exciting. 
please uh, stay tuned for that. It's going to be up Friday around the same time as we do this episode. Try to do Tuesday late morning, early afternoon for part ones. Part twos will be the same way. Uh, Friday, early morning to late afternoon. YouTube will go up probably late afternoon or early evening. But stay tuned for that. Uh, part two will be second half of our list. But as we say, check us out on Instagram for news, schedule updates, memes, and more Star Wars content. We're always posting on there. Any changes we have to the show or to the schedule for the week, we'll probably let you know there. So make sure you follow us, just general Star Wars content, and any and just to keep up with the show because that is the main way you can get in touch with us. So if you have something you want us to talk about, topic, or just a comment in general about the show, send us a DM or comment on one of our posts on Instagram. Uh, we love to hear your feedback, and we want to talk about what you want us to talk about. So if you have a specific doc topic you'd like to hear us do, whether it's a top 10 list or or a story you want us to highlight or something like that, let us know. Uh, you can send a DM or a comment, or you can send an email to us at our email, which is starwarsladspodcast at gmail.com. That's our email. Have any questions or concerns or anything, like I said, send us an email, a DM, or a comment. Uh, as I was saying earlier, we do post on YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube, thanks for checking it out. We hope you've been enjoying the new graphics that are up there. But we're trying to add graphics so that it's easier for people to follow along with what we're talking about. I know with podcasts sometimes, um, especially podcasts like this where we're so passionate and, and we are so you know in-depthly dis uh, discussing Star Wars, that sometimes it can get muddled you know, what, we're, what we're talking about. Or you, you might be someone who doesn't know everything by heart or just seen the films, or it's been you know five years since you've seen Clone Wars and you haven't watched it in a while and you don't remember like Okun or Adi Mundi or Kit Fisto or whatever. Uh, you'll see all that on the YouTube version. So check out the YouTube version. It has all the graphics. It has everything. Uh, that we're talking about on the screen for you to follow along with and we try to make it as simple and seamless as possible if you have any suggestions about that how to improve that uh, leave it in the comments below that um so that's going to do it for part one check out part two on friday thank you so much for uh watching and listening this week have a good rest of your day